I know many of you want to go down and hear this man speak, and you actually probably would enjoy him. He is, I hear, phenomenal. God has used him mightily in the past. I don't know a whole lot about him, but what I have heard has actually, it, it causes me to rejoice. When I hear reports like this and how God has used the, the young generation to move and to touch other generations, it is actually a pretty sweet report. Amen? I hope you are ready for part two today. I've come knowing that uh, there is just so much that needs to be said about this whole understanding of, you know, how God refreshes our soul, how he guides us along a path that for his name's sake. You know, this year we have started, uh, our theme is Hold Fast. And before I pray, I just want to give you a little bit of recap. Now we've done six months already, and our whole theme of the year for this church is hold fast for he who promised is faithful. The challenge to hold fast means to remain tightly secure in the belief that God is who he says he is. None of us, no matter what you have, how many degrees you have, how much schooling you have, is not, it's not what's going to keep you in the days to come, but what you believe and how you believe will cause you to firmly stand fast against all of the circumstances and the changes we're about to experience here in this, in this world. And when we see Psalm 23.3, he says he refreshes our soul. He says he guides me along a right path for his name's sake. And it has everything to do about why and how we believe and how we respond to truth. It means for his name's sake, he says, because of who he is, you and I could be assured that if he tells us that he's going to lead us down a path of safety, deliverance, freedom, whatever your need is today, that he will do it. Because he is not a God that he's, he's not a God that can lie, for one thing, and God is who he says he is. And the word refresh means to recover. Some of us had to recover some grounds in the last six months. Some of us had to make some decisions. Some of us needed to be delivered and to be brought back. And so before we start in this one, part two, be refreshed, I just want you to be assured that God is really here. He is here to meet you where you are. And so many of us are not where we should be because there are things that have come our way that have been too devastating or things that we have not been able to deal with. And I'm here to tell you, because of this scripture in Psalm 23, there is no way that you have to stay where you are. He says, I will guide you out of that path and I will bring you into a path of freedom. This is what God says. So let's bow our heads and let's ask God to come and just give us that assurance and that understanding. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. There is no one like you. We've just sang that you were great. We sang that you were awesome, that you were mighty, you were delivering. God, we stand on that promise that you are who you say you are. God, I am tired of hearing so many people doubting your character and nature. God, you have not changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I ask you that you would reveal the depths of your goodness, of how how you are powerful to your people today, that you would illuminate their hearts to a greater understanding of this, because it will take, Lord, that, 
that belief to hold us in the days to come. God, I ask for a grace, I ask for your anointing to help me preach this message. Give me freedom to do it very simplistically, God, and just you know, clear for your people. People need to hear this, God. So I pray for those that are here today. I pray for on, our online hearers. God, I pray, Lord, for just uh, you know, light bulb moments, God. Aha moments for your children today. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. God has been getting our attention all year, wanting us to firmly believe despite our circumstances, and that he is actually truly a wonderful God. Psalm 118, 6 to 8 says this, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. Are you getting this theme? He says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in man. And so many of us, we self-preserve, we self-protect, thinking we can do a better job than God. And God, he says, it's better to take refuge in God. If you're going through something today, I am telling you, the Lord is with you Fear not. He is with you. He will help you through whatever you're going through. It is a guarantee. You may fail, but he will never fail. We need to settle it once and for all as we move forward in this year that God loves us, that it is that type of belief that will actually hold us in the days to come. And really, truly, I believe today, if you're going through something, you need to ask God, open my eyes. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to understand this because I am so tired of being tossed to and fro and just being, you know, being shaken so quickly when events come my way. There's nobody here that can't say that he, you've never suffered, you've never gone through stress, never gone through trials. All of us go through it. But because our God is with us because what I've just proclaimed in Psalm 118, he is with you. He is for you. Really, truly, nothing can make much of a difference to a people who understand this. So as a matter of fact, in the past six months, God has truly recovered a lot of our grounds. Many of my sisters and brothers have actually come from a place of totally being dead in the Lord from the beginning of the year, not hungry for the things of God, and now they're hungry for him again. There is an awareness of his presence, an awareness of sin, awareness of, you know, that emptiness and that brokenness, and we've just discovered in the last several months that there are truths that give us the, the ability to be recovered. We don't have to stay where we are. We know that there is a deeper understanding that has come into many of our lives because we have actually just looked to God one more time. 
That's why we discovered the importance of why revival was necessary. And revival are for those that are already in the Lord, but they've become wayward. Other things have come and have replaced the God factor in our lives, and we find ourselves thirsty, dry, empty, and broken. We even find ourselves, you know, wondering if God is really real. And we all have those moments in our lives, and this is what we're experiencing. So the vertical aspect of revival that we talked about is all about renewing and restoring our relationship with God. And for those who don't know God here this morning, my challenge to you is actually to go to that helper that I was telling you about. He is a great, great God, and there's absolutely nothing in this world that will give you or even come close to what he can do to fulfill and satisfy your every need. But you need to be convinced of that, and hopefully today as you listen to the message, you will make a sound decision to come to him. But for those that are here who have known the Lord and you're stuck, this message is for you, because we are going to be talking about how God's grace reaches us in that horizontal aspect of our life. We talked about two dimensions. We talked about that vertical is that God initiates. He comes to get us in our muddle, in the miry clay, and he wakes us up again. Praise God, he never gives up on us. But horizontally is how do we walk with God? How do we walk with God. It means that if our relationship with God has been awakened and we are saved, we, are, we have that born again experience, that means there's an exchange that has happened in our life. We have a new heart, a new life, a new understanding, a new family. We were once in the kingdom of darkness and now we're in the kingdom of light. We've been rescued and brought into a wonderful light. This is the people who have said yes to Jesus, his work on the cross, and as he resurrected, we understood we have now a new life. When we do, it should affect the way we do life with others. We said last year, last week, we talked about the importance of striving for a clear conscience. Many people would say, oh, well, you know, I'm okay with God, but I really just don't like his people. And I have a feeling that you kind of understood from last week that according to scriptures, you're really actually not, are, you're not good. Because when things are not right with people, I'm not saying that it's always going to be perfect because, you know, life is messy. But our heart is to strive to clear our conscience towards God and towards man, if at all possible, in my power to do that. And for me, beloved, I'm telling you, it is possible. Because God and his nature and his power is within us. And he wants us to clear all of these issues that might be interfering with our abilities to walk well and victoriously with him. I'm going to explain to you, when I first came to the Lord for years, my spiritual life was like a roller coaster up and down with fewer uh, uh, ups and downs. There were times when I experienced more anxiety than peace, more fear than faith, and more failure than success. I'm sure you can relate to me here this morning that I was not the only one and maybe not the only one here today. Was I saved? Yes, I was. But was I free? No. For all practical purposes, my new birth experience, that exchange that happened when I said yes to Jesus by faith, to his sacrifice for me, that it didn't cause me to experience the freedom that I had heard or that I was reading through scriptures. I knew the Lord's forgiveness. I knew that, that, but I couldn't understand his freedom for me. 
Old habits still arrest me, and twisted emotions still paralyze me. So the power of sin attempt, you know, just always attempted to defeat me in my life. And I long to be free in Jesus, what all of those promises were saying. But for some reason, it eluded my grasp. This is, this is just how a journey starts with God. This is sometimes how we feel. My problem was not one of desire. I wished with all of my heart to please God. But there were times I felt as I was fighting a losing battle. Eventually, it dawned on me that I was in bondage despite that I was a Christian. I was a prisoner despite that the scripture says that I'm victorious. It was in the early morning hours many, many years ago as my kids were young that I was crying out all night because I knew there was something missing. And in the morning as the long night passed by, when I woke up in the morning, I suddenly realized that I must relinquish my control of my life to him. You see, when I came to him, I understood what it was that he saved me, that I didn't have to worry about God's wrath, but I did not understand about his lordship. Because when I don't see him as Lord, then I will actually do a lot of pushback. I will, do, I, let, I will be in control of my life, not understanding that I would never really experience, it, experience the provision that he gave me. So I started seeking. I started understanding that I needed to relinquish a whole lot of things that fear had me paralyzed, things that worried me, things that, for me, just the simple things of, you know, where am I going to live? And, you know, we moved quite a bit the first few years of our Christian life, and let me tell you, I had to learn to be content, and it didn't come natural. I was very a discontent woman and dealt with a whole lot of bitterness and negative. So God had to teach me to move beyond the circumstances. So I found myself with a deep longing in my heart. I began to search the Bible with one objective in mind, to know the joy of real freedom in Christ. I was sick and tired of watching everybody else that I knew had been in the Lord for many years. I wanted to experience that freedom for me, freedom to become that person God had intended me to be. And I found it. I found it. Jesus unlocked the door to my prison with six simple words. The truth will set you free. I have a picture here that I want you to see. It says here, the Bible isn't an assistant to your old way of life. It's the doorway to your new life in Christ. You see, the mistake we make, and the reason I know it, it says many are not in their word. They don't understand the implication of the word of God and the new life in us. And so what we do is we get the word to assist our old way of life, and really, truly, we amass knowledge, but we have no power. There's no transformation. There's no reality of God. We're greatly moved, very sensitive when things are happening. We grab onto grudges a whole slew of things that are happening in the light of being a Christian. And so when we don't understand the importance of the Bible being our doorway to this newness of life, then what happens is you try to do life according to your beat. So we had a beat before we came to God. We beat at our own, we strummed and beat at our own song. And then when God comes, he says, oh, wait a minute, I've got a beat for you, and you've got to follow me. No, God, I like my beat. Thank you. 
God said, no, I got a beat for you. You got to follow me. And that's what means the Lordship. God says, I have a better path for you. I want to refresh you. I want to recover those grounds that the enemy has robbed from you. But you got to understand that I don't come to assist your old life. I come to give you what you need for your new. That's why lordship and obedience is so important. That's why so many of us are still actually like infants. And I believe that when I started understanding this, the connection to my new life in the word of God and how to apply it, I started experiencing freedom like I've never experienced before. My problem, like I said, wasn't because of desire. It was I needed to understand that connection. With this promise in my heart that truth will set me free, I began applying to my life the principles of true freedom uh, that I was learning about God's word. In doing so, I experienced freedom that transformed my life. And I'm going to explain to you, we're talking about forgiveness. I was not a woman of forgiveness. I was a woman who was very, very bitter and resentful, and I had practiced this for a long, long time. But as you got to know the Word of God, you started really realizing that I could not stay the way I was because it clashed to the new beat. It clashed with the very thing that God was saying in his, heart, in his word. And so this is why we talked about the importance of having a clear conscience. That is one of biblical principles that we have to actually work out. I can't ask somebody in this church to clear my conscience. No, I can get you to keep me accountable. Oh, that's probably why most of us don't come to church. We don't like to be accountable, so it's easier to go online. It's easy to do the online stuff. No one can tell you, hey, this is really speaking to you. If you don't like it, you just turn it off. But you see, there is certain things in the scriptures that tell us that we need to move forward. And we know that a quick conscience is someone who has actually understood that when they do something, which all of us sometimes drop the ball, they are quick to repent, quick to admit their failure, and quick to bring forgiveness and to ask forgiveness whatever the, the situation comes. That's what a clear conscience does. This is what, this is the, the new beat that God brings in our life. It says we need to actually respond quickly when we have done something. If not, we will find ourselves, as we said last week in 1 Timothy, I believe, is that if we reject our faith and reject a clear conscience that we will be shipwrecked in our faith. Oh, whoa, it, was, it had nothing to do about anybody else. It had everything to do about how I was responding to life, responding to my situations, how I was, what I was doing and coming back from these events in my life. So I also gave you an illustration last week about what tethers us and keeps us from experiencing the new life. I want to use the same illustration today because, again, this is about the horizontal aspect. It's about if I am well with God, there are certain things that I need to change in the way that I do life. You see, I am, I have new life. I am, I am a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And so if the new has come, that means that there are certain things that I need to do and certain things I have to actually obey. And so a lot of times when we don't understand that, we actually get tethered. And tethered means that it restricts our movement, especially forward. 
Tethering an animal to a post, that means they're only allowed to go where they are permitted as long as the leash is. And so I, when I want to go, and let's just say there's certain things that I'm not dealing with in my conscience, that I am stuck. I want to go forward, but I'm stuck. And sometimes I can actually go back to it. And today I want to talk about what gives us a difficulty, what's going to cause us not to hold fast in the days to come. And we need to ta- not to tack on truth to our lives, but we need to embrace it and walk with it. This morning, I'm going to look at another truth that is very important. It is actually one of the biggest things that are Christian killers in Christianity is unforgiveness and bitterness. Unforgiveness always leads you to build a root of bitterness. If you are not understanding the connection by the end of this message, you will understand where I'm going with this. So the importance of forgiveness in our life is very important. Forgiveness is the gift everyone wants to receive but finds hard to give. It's not easy to forgive, yet forgiveness is one of the most important elements of our victory and our ability to walk in freedom. And many of us, because we don't understand, you know, because we feel that we're justified in holding on to these things, we get tethered by unforgiveness, by rage, by anger and resentment. Forgiveness is like a two-sided coin. Have you ever seen a two-sided coin? Well, there's two sides to the coin. And if I were to cut that coin, then it wouldn't be worth a whole lot, would it? And this is the truth behind what he says about uh, forgiveness. Kyle Eidemann says this, grace is only grace if it goes both ways. Receiving it from God, but refusing to give it to others isn't an option. It is by God's grace that we receive forgiveness for all we have done. And on the flip side of that coin, it is because of what we have received from him that we're able to forgive. So when I received the forgiveness, see, without God's grace, there would have been no forgiveness had to me. uh, Grace is unmerited, undeserved. And the only reason I received grace is because I said yes to the gift of his son by faith. And so God's grace flows in us, and he says in Hebrews 12, be careful not to misplace grace by permitting a root of bitterness. You see this over and over and over again. Many of us are not moving forward because we don't understand the importance of forgiveness. Grace, giving grace is a willingness to forgive because you have been forgiven. Both of these sides should be taught. I should be spending one message on what God's forgiveness is all about and another message on how do we walk it out. But I don't have time to break that down for you today. I want to actually show you the horizontal effects of unforgiveness and bitterness in your life. Now I want to show how this causes you not to grow, not to walk forward in your, in your faith with God, how it actually changes your ability to amass knowledge properly, how it actually causes you not to, be, not to receive love or not to give love, not to offer grace. It's all about how we've been hurt, how wounds have come. 
And when we don't deal with wounds of, of rejection and, and bitterness and uh, offenses and stuff like this, what happens is that we become bitter ourselves and unforgiving. It's, it's actually the biggest Christian killer. And it is the reason why so many live in defeat and why we stay tethered, even though we come to church every Sunday and we try to read our word. We have a hard time because we are captive tethered to the past wounds that are unresolved, tethered to bitterness that we have not forgiven, and because of it, we find ourselves unmoving with God. Many of us don't grow up well. Many of us stay in those events. Many of us are still actually doing what we did before we came to God. We just tacked on the Christianity title. But we still respond, respond to people who betray us the same way. We still respond when people are speaking poorly of us the same way. And we need to understand that God wants us untethered today. Our abilities to walk in freedom and to become mature is seen through Scripture. If you read the whole chapter of Ephesians 4, you would see a whole lot of biblical principles of how you walk things through. I love Ephesians 4 because it writes about the church, it writes about us. He makes the connection about growing up and bitterness. At the end of the scripture, he says, he talks about we are, you know, we are called to be walk, to walk worthy of our calling, and at the end he says, you know, let go of bitterness, and he, he goes in and he gives you instructions throughout the whole chapter. You see, the word of God sets us free, and it's amazing, we can actually see the doorway, but we don't take it. See, through Ephesians 4, we see the connection of what he means to walk worthy, to become mature, to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, to be no longer infants, but we have to let go of bitterness and unforgiveness. You see, we think that we can go on and, you know, and be full and complete and fulfill without actually going into our baskets, but the tethering is going on, beloved. You might not believe that, but you can just ask people who tell you, you know, I'm not too sure. Are you a Christian? You know, they, you know they'll, they'll, they'll notice your inability to be joyful. And you say, well, I'm just focused. I'm just, it's just today, today. Now, people recognize that there's something off with your Christianity. See, people are looking for reality. If you're saying you're a Christian and you know God, the flip coin thing is that I would be reflecting a whole lot of what he tells me to. I would be reflecting his heart. See, the evidence of growing up uh, is placed on the offering of grace and forgiveness. See, when we don't do the grace thing and forgiveness thing, then we really truly don't grow, grow up. Why? Because I believe we are never more like God than when we are people who forgive. When we forgive people, even the hardest things, God gets the glory. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, uh, slander, along with every form of malice. And then he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And see, so that's the coin. So when I get rid of the bitterness, when I untether myself of this basket, and I'm real with what's in it, and I call it for what it is, then I'm able to move in grace and forgiveness. So a lot of people say, well, it's so hard. Well, you know, we can't confuse simple with easy. 
It's simple because if God calls you to do it, he will actually equip you to do it. But forgiveness is not easy. It is not easy. Tethered by bitterness, what does it look like? Our emotions can tie us up, don't they? They hold us down and have a way of choking out our resolve to forgive. They are roadblocks that keep us from moving forward with forgiveness, but also experience freedom. We need to clean up our baskets today, beloved. And we need to get rid of the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness that gets piled up and keeps us from making progress in our life. There is a picture here, I believe, that if you wanna, there's no picture there? No, there isn't. All right, I was wrong on that one. Stay there. Um, So here is our basket. I'm gonna do the same thing I did last week, but I want you to see how important it is when we don't deal with these emotions of hurt and wounds. When we don't get rid of bitterness, it produces a bitter root. The scripture says that word bitterness is the word wickedness, and this is what it says. It says morally bad in principle and or practice, and the end is a bad disposition. Have you ever seen bitter people. They have a bad disposition. They actually walk around very, very critical. Not only do they, are they critical, they're very negative. They have actually very little grace for other people. And little that they know, they're piling this up. They don't understand these are symptoms. And when you are bitter, you have a very hard time to trust. The lack of trust is actually very profound. But it doesn't just end there. There are so many things that are added to this, you know, unforgiveness and bitterness root because it actually hits every form. So he says, get rid of bitterness, but then he says, get rid of the, some verses says wrath, here it says rage. That's a building up of anger. And it's a building up of anger where, you know, things happen and all of a sudden, boom, there's a flare up. All of a sudden, you sense something happening, and you can't stop yourself. And you're wondering, where is that anger coming? Could it be that you've been tethered to unresolved issues from the past, and that is why you can't grow? That is why you cannot give grace when you know you've received grace and you've received forgiveness? That is why you justify why you do what you do. You actually do like that woman. You just bring your scriptures, bring your your scriptures, to what you think. You develop your own God to sort what's going on in this basket. So we have rage, a building up, an explosion, a boiling up of anger. We have agitated and indignation when we feel that things are not going, a temper. We are aggressive with people, and we say, well, you know, I've just got off this way. But not only that, the Bible tells us in Ephesians that we have clamor. Clamor is an outcry. That means you are always picking out the injustices, and you want to fight for them, but it's all for the wrong motive. You just want to be right. You want to have the last say. You're actually, when there's drama, you're right in the middle of it. That's what clamor is. But it doesn't stop there. He says slander. Get rid of slander. I heard it just not too long ago, and it just broke my heart. A person who 
and I know that I have to deal with it as a leader, that has been speaking very poorly of some people in this church. Like I said, beloved, there will be a day of reckoning. And when we're tethered by the things and we refuse to deal with it, there is absolutely no way that you will go forward. No way that God will bless what you're doing because we are misrepresenting God. And God is actually awakening us so that we can understand that if he's calling us to do something, he is going to equip us to do it. If he's calling you to love your husband that you haven't loved in years, he is going to equip you to do it. If he's calling you to be gracious when you are ungracious to him, he will give you what you need. But you got to understand, if you're tethered, then you will always go to your go-to to self-preserve. You are going to do it your way, but in the end, there will be no help. There will be no ceasing of fear or peace. We have to make a clear distinction. If we're tethered with bitterness, we need to understand. People who are bitter, they're slanderous. That means they speak about people with unkind words. They are injurious words, words to break a reputation and to draw a negative picture to someone else. Do you really think God would be okay with that? It is the one thing, I'm going to show you how we deal with her hurts and her pain. I'm going to be totally bluntly honest. I have transitioned of a lot of those things, and I need you to see that there are certain ways that we deal with hurts and pains, because you understand, we live in a fallen world. We're not finished being hurt. We're not finished being betrayed or unjustly judged for things we don't really do. But there are certain things we are doing. And God is saying, now it's time, beloved, that you call them out. Because if you want to be free, you cannot actually say, stay silent anymore. You have to call it out. We know that when we are bitter, we are critical and judgmental. And God wants us to change. We're not only that, we're unsympathetic. You know what that means? Because that was one of the big things that for me I understood when I had a bitter root and I was so deceived in thinking that I wasn't tethered is that I know when I'm doing something, when I'm walking into that path, the first thing I want to do is withhold my love. Have you ever done it? Come on, guys. I withhold my love. Well, you know, I have every right. If he wants to be like that, that's fine. I withhold my love. I am so glad that God doesn't do that with me. But not only that, when they're struggling, I have no sympathy. Well, they shouldn't have made that decision. Too bad for them. And yet it's true, sometimes we do make bad decisions, don't we? But again, I'm very glad God doesn't deal with me that way. So we tend to deal with our hurts and our anger in one of three ways. One is repression. And I've heard it say very many times, people come to me, I've been counseling for years, and they say it's the first time that I've ever been, I've ever said this. I've kept this to myself for 40 years. I've, I've walked with it, carried it around, and tethered with it for years. See, that's what the tethering does, is that when we don't deal with our emotions and our feelings properly, what we do is we repress them. The way we deal with our hurts is either by surrendering, there's a choice, surrendering to God. As children of God, we have God. You saw Psalm 118? The Lord said, I will be with you. I will be your help. 
guys, if we don't surrender, then we are going to be with ourselves. So the first one is that we either can surrender to God or we push down and try to repress the anger. Have you ever tried it? I'm just going to just, just pile them and just keep them very neat in that. Nobody sees them. So we try to hide it. We try to conceal it. We don't want anybody to see it. But little do you know that a whole lot of people do see it. We try to think that we successfully have dealt with these feelings by refusing to let them surface. I'm not going to let them surface. But the definition of repress is this, is to suppress with force. That's what it means. And in our basket, a lot of us, we've been taught how to deal with our emotions this way. We don't let anybody see them. We don't let anybody know what's really in our hearts, and we hide it away. The problem is when we repress emotions and we don't, we don't deal with them, they become toxic. And not only do they become toxic for your life, they also defile many others around you. If you think that your things in your basket is just about you, think again. Because when we do not deal with this, it actually affects all other relationships. My tethering doesn't just keep me from being victorious. It will affect all those that I love. And I don't know, but when this started, under, uh, that understanding came to me because I was very bitter and I had issues. I needed to understand this was toxic and I needed to be real with it. If there's any hope of healing for you and I, we have to stop repressing our feelings. We literally have to do this to them. We have to hold it up. Oops, sorry. We have to hold it up. We have to examine them one at a time, a piece at a time, and we have to decide if we want to let them go or let them put, put them back in the basket. If I actually let them go and surrender to God, the Lord is my help. The Lord will be with me. People who repress resentment over hurts they've received tend to see everything through the lens of a, uh, through a negative lens. They constantly complain. They, they find negative in everything. Instead of seeing the world through the lens of grace, they see the world through the lens of bitterness. It can, it can end up defining you so much so that it's self-fulfilling. I have known people who have died alone, not because there was no people around them, but because they were so bitter and it defiled so many of their relationships. You know bitter people are very hard to be around because they're always critical, always negative, always see things, always half empty. And it's hard, so it's self-fulfilling is that you're, by virtue of who you are and how you respond to life, people are not around you. And when you really need them, there is nothing there. When you really long for connection with people, there is nothing going on. I love this, this, this thing, it says poison alert. Are you drinking the poison of unforgiveness? You may think you've kept these emotions contained in this basket, but if you find that you are, you get disproportionately angry, that means your anger doesn't fit the crime. That means you get angry, it's disproportionate to the event. 
When you have a tendency to complain and be irritable, you're oversensitive, you know, you go into the poor me right off the bat, you get, you actually are, respond defensively when people expose your character, then maybe some of the bitterness and rage and anger has already spilled out. So that leaves us to another way. See, I used to do this quite a bit when I first came to God, and when God showed me the devastation, especially when my children came, I never repressed any emotions anymore. I learned that God was real, and I learned that he can handle my emotions. If he can keep the stars from falling on my head at night, he can handle my emotions. He can deal with my feelings and my hurt and my pain. But we have issues, beloved. We don't believe that God is big enough to deal with our pain, so we deal with our own pain. And what we do is we tether ourselves and bring this. We try to go forward, which we can't. So the another way is rehearsal. Unfortunately, even though that I know this is not true, there are times I still go there to my shame. Rehearsal, this is when we keep the moment of betrayal or the hateful words or the unfair treatment queued up in our heads. It's like pushing rewind and repeat on our VCR, which we don't have anymore, but our CD players shows my age, ouch. And so, so you don't repress anymore, but what happens to you is that you rehearse it, you rehash it, you replay it again and again and again. I absolutely love my husband. He's so gracious with me. And when I practice this, he'll say, yeah, you've already told me. Now you know what you need to do. <laughs> he doesn't let me. Because you know, if he loves me, he's going to say, hey, beloved, it's enough. I kind of heard this for the last month. And uh, you're rehearsing it. Because you know when we rehearse something, we get good. But this good here, that means actually it opens up the door to the root of bitterness. Trust me, you don't want to go there. And so when, if you are rehearsing, if this is how you deal with emotions or bad events or hurts, well then you need to understand that if you don't, you keep on doing that, it'll turn to resentment. You think that, which actually leads to the root of bitterness. You think that if you don't, you're letting the other person get away with what they did. No, it's not true. But really, you're just letting yourself continue to hurt. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, give no foothold of your life to the enemy. And that's one of the biggest footholds we can do. Last year, I found myself dealing with a tremendous uh, betrayal at the beginning of the year. And actually, God gave me a God wink, which means he warned me ahead of time that this was going to happen. I thank him when he does that. And so I knew it was going to happen, but then I didn't really take into consideration the ramification of that choice, but what that other person was doing to my reputation. And it's not the first time, I've been in ministry for 31 years, not the first time, but for some reason it came to get me. Uh, you know, I have loved this person deeply, and to find this person to rise up to hate me, I just didn't, you just can't wrap your mind around that. And I thought I had de dealt sufficiently with the pain in my basket, and I did it, but you see, throughout months of April and May and June, I was doing the rehearsal thing. 
I, you know, people said, oh, I saw so-and-so, and he was saying so-and-so, and I'm going, and then I would just go right to rehearsal, you know, cue right in, you know, the words, and cue right in, and all of a sudden, I remember, I was actually downstairs, and I was about to actually share the rehearsal moment, and God said, stop it. I knew, unfortunately, I got tethered by that event. And I had to go back to God. I had to take out one thing after the other, examine it, and decide, do I want to keep it in my box, or do I want to surrender it to God? And thank God I surrendered. But I'll tell you how that works in a few, about two seconds. Well, no, I lied, maybe four seconds. Uh, maybe 10 minutes. So, <laughs> we're getting there, we're getting there. See, God wants us to resolve these things in the basket. It is amazing how we fight God on this. We don't think that God knows. He knows all things. He's just, we might not see his justice here this side of heaven, but it'll always happen at one point or another. So we need to resolve this anger, the bitterness, and the rage that we are experiencing. See, God wants us free. Jesus wants us triumphant. The Holy Spirit makes his home in our hearts so that we can actually experience his fruit and live out as we should. But if we keep rehearsing our anger and the weeds of bitterness and the rage begin to grow and choke out everything else. The last one we need to learn and how to deal with our pain is we need to release it. So either we repress it or we rehearse it or we learn to release it. Let me assure you that releasing it does not make light of what has happened to you. It doesn't diminish the seriousness of the offense or the severity of your pain. Saying that you want to release it may sound simple, but releasing it is extremely difficult. In fact, without God, it's pretty much impossible. But I need you to make sure that you don't confuse simple with easy. God's commandments are actually simple because he gives us the power to do it. But sometimes it's not easy. There is nothing easy about releasing people in forgiveness, but if we want to be untethered and want to experience freedom, forgiveness is the key. There's a picture here. I'll go ahead and keep on bringing it in. When we don't understand or practice forgiveness, we will never experience true inner freedom. And I've seen it too much, where unforgiveness and bitterness is like a tumor that mutates and multiplies in the individual's life. You know, we need to be warned that if we refuse to deal with these symptoms, over time, the anger and the bitterness metastasize in every area of your life. It doesn't just stay in one area. It goes everywhere. So how do we forgive? Most importantly in the forgiving process is we need to recognize that God is with you. God is with you. If I did not recognize that God was with me, there is no way that I would actually clean out my basket. I would hold tightly to that basket, knowing that I had to defend myself and keep myself safe. But I had to switch foundations and loyalties. I had to go to him and let him be what he needs to be for me. You see, God does have the final word. God is standing with you and offers you a grace that is not only greater than anything you have done here today, but greater than anything that has been done to you. Many things have been done to you. 
and you're hurting and you're wounded. And all I know is that we don't practice this truth of forgiveness. We don't learn how to stop repressing and rehearsing. What happens is that we walk around tethered. That means we can be in, in, the, in, in the Lord for 30 years and have no freedom and no greater understanding to love. God is in your corner. He is with you. He is a loving father who is investing his life in you. He's pursuing you so that you can trust him with these events, the hurt and the deep wounds of whatever you're going through, either rejection or abandonment or just betrayal. Let him deal with your hurts this morning. Release the person or the events over to God and trust him to deal with the person and lean on him. He's got your back. We need to decide to not allow, this is the next one please, to not allow unforgiveness to hinder us no more. I can't do it for you. Very briefly, I'm gonna go through the three levels of forgiveness, but I have handouts for you. I want you to go through it. I've just simplified what I have learned to do. And for the rest of my life, I will use these three levels. I will understand how to do this. The first level is what the scripture says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. No question, no justification, no rationalizing. When you justify you, why you do what you do, beloved, you are tethered and you're going nowhere. So you have to get rid of the bitterness, the rage, and the anger. These won't all go away. You will experience the feelings even though you start this. But when they surface, you will examine each and every one. And when I choose to release the events, when I choose to release the wounds that have come to me, what happens is every time these emotions will rise up, because they will, because you practice them and you're tethered by them. So what God is going to tell you to do is you examine it. Do I want to keep this person in my basket, this event, this pain, this hurt? And if I say no, that means I give it to God and I surrender. Every time I have a hurt and a wound, I choose to go and I keep on I examine it, I take it out, and I say, okay, God, you saw what this person has done. You see what I'm feeling right now, the depths of the pain that I feel right now, God. I'm gonna ask you, and every time these emotions surface, I will continue to do this. And what I don't realize is, if you haven't yet, is my basket is getting emptier by the moment. That's the first level of forgiveness, is that I have to get rid of it, I have to call it. God, I am bitter. I am angry. I cannot trust anyone. I can't even trust you. But I'm releasing it to you. Instead of replaying it, reliving it, I release it all to him. My pains, my wounds, and I make a decision to get rid of it. You see, that's where obedience comes into play. We thought obedience was about God's love. No, it's about you experiencing freedom, getting untethered. The second uh, level of forgiveness is the section is not about releasing but it's about choosing to let go of the debt. This is where our belief of God really comes into play. If we don't believe that God is great and big and mighty, that he's just and good, then we will not go after those things in our basket. We will choose to think that our justice is better. What it means is that you release the right to retaliate, the right to seek revenge against them, 
and you let God deal with them. You take them off your hook and you leave them on God's hook. And so when I am dealing with this, I've released it, I get rid of all this, but now the second option is to choose not to withhold my love. Risky, isn't it? Because the other person hasn't changed. The other person is the same. Now, God is never going to put me in an abusive environment. He's never going to ask me to continue in an abusive environment. You understand that. This is God you're talking about. He's my father. But there are certain things, if at all possible, in my life. I can actually go through this. And even though that other person never changes, I actually decide, you know, I'm going to get rid of the debt. I'm going to let God deal with that individual. And even though until I have my last breath, that individual doesn't like me, it's okay. Because God is on my side. And as I move on and I keep on doing that, I actually literally get untethered. And little by little, I start growing again. I don't stay stagnant. My love for others increases. My ability to have grace increases. And the last stage of forgiveness is called reconciliation. If God permits me, then I reconcile with the one who has hurt me, or vice versa, the one that I have hurt. You see, that is the goal of us being Christ-like, is that we will receive and give what God has given us. It, it is what we have received from God through Jesus, and now we give it back to the people who are around us. There is no greater goal than that, beloved, that the people would see the love of God and grace when they don't deserve it. It's very quiet here. Did I lose you? Did you get it? Did you understand that us being tethered to our past and to the wounds can be dealt with? And if we have the symptoms of bitterness and our view is negative and we don't deal with it properly and we've recognized it today, beloved, you just have to start examining the things in your basket. You have to get rid of it, beloved. I can't get rid of it for you. You have to choose that God is bigger and then you have to choose to let go of the debt. That means I stop withholding. I stop wanting them to get hurt. I stop wanting them to suffer. I'll let God do, do all that. See, God gives us grace and forgiveness so that we can give grace and forgiveness to others. This is the last scripture, and I'm gonna ask the worship to come up. Thank you. Couldn't get my words. God understands where you are today. The point of the next several weeks is to show you that it wasn't actually somebody else that kept you there. Now, there are certain things that have happened to you like they've happened to me, but I've had to make choices to free up my basket. I had to believe that God was who he says he was and that he wanted to protect me. That means that he didn't ask me to go back to abusive environments, but he did ask me to let go. There are people who will never actually befriend me ever again and, and or they'll stay my enemy. Uh, but I will not give one more ounce or one more inch in letting them get into my basket. I will choose that God will actually keep me. 
And even know that they don't understand, I understand that God is going to free me by the moment and bring me home complete and mature and lacking nothing. And that's all that is all about the horizontal revival, is that there are certain things, beloved, you've got to choose. We do have to choose forgiveness. If you have issues with repression and uh, rehearsing, then you kind of know it's a poison alert. And you have to go into the box and you have to start examining it and giving it back to God and say, God, this is who I am. Never realized, but today I am this person and I don't want to be tethered to it anymore. You see, it's simple, sometimes not easy, but simple because when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you the power to do what he's asked you to do. And we get the freedom, the victory, and the ability to love like we've never loved before. I don't know, I want God, I don't know about you, but if this is what you've seen and you've noticed that you've been tethered, then today it's very simple. Oh God, I'm coming. I do have unforgiveness and I do have bitterness, I have anger, and I've called it other things and I've given it to other things, but they have grounds in my heart. And that's why I'm not moving. And I wanna move forward. I want to grow. I want to love. I want to receive love and give it. I want to know how deep and wide your love is for me because this is blocking my view. Do you have a blocked view today? And come up and talk to him as we sing this song, Healing is Here. Mm -hmm. 